part of Judas's life experience. And Matthew 27 says, Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do you care, they retorted. That's your problem. Verse 5, then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The leading priest picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple, temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field, and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. That is why the field is still called the Field of Blood. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, I, I pray, I pray that in different ways you would open up our minds and hearts to truth from this part of your Holy Bible. Lord, there's so much to learn from Judas as to how we should live. Get a grip of our own hearts and do something special in each of us as we focus on this passage of Scripture today. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How to live. My friends, as we think of what happened with Judas, I invite you to think first of all on this truth with me. Number one, make sure that people who think they can trust you can, in fact, trust you. This truth, of course, comes from Matthew 26, verse 14, which says, Then Judas Iscariot, one, one of the twelve disciples. One of the twelve. That phrase, one of the twelve, almost breaks my heart every time I read it. Because, in, in a sense, in a sense, it is saying, one of the men that Jesus should have been able to trust. You see that, don't you? One of the people that Jesus should have been able to trust. He is saying one of the men who had the privilege of spending special time with Jesus. It's kind of like saying Judas, one of the family. One of the family. Judas was someone who was supposed to be a protector of Jesus. Instead, verses 14 and 15 say, he went to the leading priest and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? What Judas did can cause you and me to ask ourselves some soul-searching questions. Some soul-searching questions like, like these. My brother, is, is this working?
What Judas did can cause you and me to ask ourselves to begin with this first soul-searching question. Can I be trusted to be totally faithful to Jesus? Can you and I be trusted to be totally faithful to Jesus? It's a question we should ask ourselves, I believe, on a regular basis, don't you? And for those who are married, we have to ask ourselves a question like this. Can my wife or husband truly trust me or am I cheating on her or him? And for those who have children and or have responsibilities with children, we have to ask ourselves a question like this. Why don't you read it with me from the big screen? Am I treating my children and other people's children with the greatest love and respect possible? Those children are trusting you. What this boils down to is don't, don't ever abuse a child or a teenager. Don't ever abuse a child or teenager physically, emotionally, sexually, or by neglect. Amen? Come on now, wake up, church. Wakey, wakey. I read the story of Sophie. Maybe you've read her story too. That's not her real name, by the way. Sophie says this. Sophie says, my experiences of being neglected as a child are with me every day. No one, she says, no one was there most of the time and even when they were, they weren't properly there as they were out of it. It was just hell. She says, my parents both used drugs and when I was growing up, there was no one there to do the basic things that a child needs, like cooking meals. Mom wouldn't even notice whether I had or hadn't gone to school as she was always upstairs. She was always upstairs, smashed out of her face. I wanted to go to school as I didn't want a life like my parents. I could pretend that while I was at school, everything was fine at home. No one at school knew what was happening at home until the house was raided. She goes on and says, when I was younger, I constantly had to go and answer the door to let strangers in and out. I was really scared of the strangers. At first, I didn't know what was actually going on upstairs. I was often left by myself, and I felt so lonely. 
I even felt lonely when mom and dad were in the house because mentally they were completely out of it. One of the worst experiences was when mom got arrested, and so I turned up, I turned up to the house to find the doors and the windows boarded up. I couldn't get into my own house, and I had no idea what had gone on because no one had even bothered to contact the school to tell me. And she says, I fell to the floor on the, on the back garden and bawled my eyes out. I bawled my eyes out, she says. My dad eventually turned up, but he was drunk as always. This is only a part of Sophie's story. My friends, the story of Sophie is only one story of child neglect. Sophie, sadly, was betrayed by her own parents while growing up. A lot of you could also tell true stories of other neglected or abused children. And sadly, sadly, some of you listening today have been a Sophie or a Stephen. And my heart goes out to you because you identify with Sophie's reality so very much. The Lord has helped you to overcome, but your memories of your past hurts are still there. The truth is, you and I cannot change the past. We cannot change the past, but we can make a big difference in the present and in the future by treating your own children, your grandchildren, and other people's kids with the greatest love and respect possible. Amen? Let us each say, Lord, I will not betray any child for any reason. As I speak these words, and as I was preparing for this message, I also said to myself, I want to congratulate the many of you here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene. I want to congratulate the hundreds of you because across the years, over 30, 36 going on to 37 years of pastoring here, it's been my privilege to see hundreds of you show and shower your children and your grandchildren and other people's children with love and kindness and patience and, 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 and all the goodness you can muster. And so in these moments, on the one hand, I'm speaking about neglect and, and mistreatment of children, but on the other hand, I want to celebrate, I want to celebrate the hundreds of you who have shown and continue to show the kind of love and treatment that, that you have shown as parents and, and uncles and aunts and grandparents. And Pastor Lisa, come on up here. Pastor Lisa, come, please, come. I want, I want you to join me, join me in just uh, uh, applauding and, and together, together, church family, 
I want to invite all of us to just express our joy and appreciation in, in, the, in and for the men and women who have on an ongoing basis shown this wonderful love and kindness and goodness and blessing towards the children as you have raised them. And we saw a few of them up on the platform here today. God bless you and congratulations to you. Congratulations. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And as, as I just looked out and saw Pastor Lisa's parents, I thought, congratulations to you, Mr. and Mrs. Otar, for the wonderful way in which you have raised not only your daughter, but your two excellent sons as well. Amen. And, and speaking of children, speaking of children, uh, some of you, uh, well, a lot of you saw my little granddaughter, Everly Ruth, Everly Ruth Stavropoulos, who was here just, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago. She's normally a part of our daughter church with our son and, and his wife, and, uh, and uh, they're at the new church normally, but uh, that Sunday they shared their little girl, and my son, well, my daughter and her husband shared their little boy with us. They came to church with Cindy. And, you know, this week, this week marks the first birthday of our granddaughter. And I just happen to have a couple of pictures of Everly Ruth. And there you are. There's our little sweetheart. I think maybe we got one more. All right. And I don't know if it was my son or... Or Kirby, his wife, who took those pictures, but they sent them to me late last night as I was finishing up this message. My my phone went ding, ding, and I thought, who's dinging this time? And and I checked my phone, and behold, these few beautiful pictures of our little granddaughter. And for for the occasional person here who is not thrilled about me showing pictures about my granddaughter, too bad. <laughs> All right. If you want me to show pictures of your granddaughter or grandson, bring them over to me, and we'll, we'll show them next Sunday, okay? God bless you. Now, this truth, this truth of make, of make sure that people who think they can trust you, in fact, that uh, make sure that people who think they can trust you can, in fact, trust you, applies to so many areas of life. Here's another one. All right, here's another one. And for those of you making notes, it's point D. Another one is this. Can women, can women trust me not to violate mistreat or to take advantage of them? This is obviously a very relevant one in these days because in recent weeks, sadly, we have heard of many cases in politics, in the movie industry, and in television, in business, and other places where women have stepped forward and said that a particular man or men had done something to them against their will. I don't know, and you don't know, if those accusations were all true. But we still have to ask ourselves, can women trust me? Gentlemen, we have to ask ourselves, can women trust me not to violate mystery or to take advantage of them? Amen? And ladies, ladies, let me also speak a word to you. Please, 
Be very careful, ladies. Be very careful not to accuse a man of inappropriate behavior towards you unless it really did happen. A person's life can be destroyed by a mere allegation, right? I have always, by nature, been a huggy-wuggy type of person. Do you know what it means to be huggy-wuggy? Cindy, do you want to tell people what it means to be huggy-wuggy? Cindy, my wife? They know, she says. Uh, sometimes I don't know what you know, <laughs> what you folks know. But anyway, I've been a kind of huggy-wuggy person. And in recent months, however, in recent months, you and I have heard on the news about so many men in politics, in business, and in the film industry who have been accused, of course, of inappropriate behavior. And sometimes, I'm just being honest with you, Sometimes I've wondered if I should stop hugging anyone out of concern that, I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but I'm just being realistic, but sometimes I wonder if I should stop hugging anyone out of concern that days, weeks, months, or years down the road, some, some woman or man might say, you know what, on such and such a day, Pastor Nick hugged me or squeezed me inappropriately. Right? Then I thought, then I thought that if I, if I did stop hugging everyone, someone, some of you will say, what in the world is wrong with that man? What's gone wrong with Pastor Nick? Why is he so cold? Is he sick or something? Is he sick or what? Right? So then I decided, I decided to be myself and try to be careful but ultimately trust the Lord to be my protector. Amen? Amen? Here's another point of application you and I should ask ourselves. I know some of you are thinking, man, Pastor Nick, from one little verse, you sure find a lot of points of application. And that's true. Point E, we need to ask ourselves, can my employer... Can my employer trust me to give a full day's work and to not steal from my company? Now, that sounds very basic. But when I've talked with business people over the years, I have been amazed as to discover, to discover that stealing from one's own company or business or store by employees is sometimes a major problem. Here's another point of application, F. Can my church, can my church trust me to be faithful, faithful in carrying out my responsibility? Mm-hmm. Can my church trust me to give tithes and offerings? Can my church trust me to do my part of carrying the financial load? This week, the electrical bill came into the office uh, for the month of, of January. And uh, normally I, I tell our office administrator if there's, if there's a bill that's, that's fairly large, I say, I tell her, could, could you please show it to me? I just want to make sure that nothing weird is going on. And uh, 
And just, just as a double check type of thing. But in, anyway, the, the electrical bill, the electrical bill just for January to provide electricity for this building, it was over $4,000. And the, the, it was over $4,000. And the unfortunate thing is, it's nothing weird going on, you know? Like that's, that's, that's what it was and that's what it is. Thank you to those of you who tithe because it is from our tithes that we pay bills like that. Electricity, hydro, whatever you want to call it, gas bills, and so on. My friends, Judas's betrayal of Jesus ought to cause you and me to ask ourselves many soul-searching questions so that we make sure, we make sure that people who think they can trust you can, in fact, trust you and me. The question is, are you and I trustworthy? I want to take you now to a second truth on this theme of how to live. And the second truth is this. Focus your life. And by the way, if you didn't notice, there, there is a section in your bulletin for notes for those who want to take notes. Second truth today is this. Focus your life on how you can do and give the most for Jesus, and do not focus on how you can best profit from your relationship with Jesus. This truth also came to my mind from verses 15 and 16, Matthew 26. Let's uh, read it in unison together with me from the big screen, if we have it. And uh, all right, if we don't have it, let me just read it for us here. Here it is. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him thirty pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Notice Judas's question in verse 15. How much will you pay me? How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? For Judas, life was about me. Me, 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 me. Me. 2,000 years later, many people, for many people, life is still primarily about me, me, me. Someone has probably written a song. Me, 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 me. It's not a song, that's just what we practice as a choir, you know, to warm up the voices sometimes. 
Sometime, some time ago, I, I noticed, I've mentioned this before, sometime I noticed uh, how the condo project at Markham and Ellesmere has a big sign, a big sign which says, it's all about me. Hmm. On January 20th, 1961, President, President John F. Kennedy when he was installed as President of the United States, spoke these words. Many of you have heard them. He said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. He spoke those words in his inaugural address. And you know, I thought about those words and uh, when we, when we, become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ, I believe you and I should adopt a modified version of President Kennedy's words, and that version should be this. Ask not what Jesus can do for you. Ask what you can do for Jesus. Focus your life, focus your life on how you can do and give the most for Jesus and do not focus on how you can best profit from your relationship with Jesus. Amen? And what is wonderful, what is marvelous is that as I, as I look across our congregation here from left to right and from the main level and up into the balcony. What is wonderful is that I'm inspired to praise God, to praise the Lord because I see many of you who truly have focused and you do focus your life on how you can do and how you can give the most for Jesus and you do not focus on, you, on how you can best profit from your relationship with Jesus. And that causes me to rejoice and to praise the Lord. And, and just the fact, just the fact that you are in the Lord's house on a very bad weather day with, with snow and freezing rain and forecast, just the fact that you're in the Lord's house to worship the Lord on a day like this is an illustration of how you are trying to do your best for the Lord. It's one little example. A couple of weeks ago in the message, I briefly mentioned that one of our men, one of our men went home from hospital after having quadruple bypass heart surgery. And I mentioned that he lived alone, and I told you that I put his name and address and phone number on the communion table here in case some of you wanted to phone him up or or um, go over for a visit or take him a meal or do some housekeeping for him. And what was wonderful is that by the end of the services on that Sunday, what was wonderful is 27, 27 of you picked up a sheet from the communion table intending to go visit, take a meal over, do some housekeeping or whatever. And some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Nick, how in the world? You, you, you wouldn't have stayed at that, that communion table. Some of you are thinking, well, how in the world would you know that 27 people picked up that sheet? I have my ways. 
Well, very simply, I know 27 people picked up that sheet because I specifically put 35 sheets on that communion table. And so at the end of Sunday, I just counted how many sheets were left. And I praised the Lord because there were only eight sheets left. And I said, Lord, isn't this wonderful? I spoke a brief word about this need. And 25 precious people picked that sheet up and are going to do something to be a blessing to this dear man who has returned home from hospital. Amen. Amen. The good news also is this. The good news is, as we talk about this truth right now, focusing your life on how you can do and give the most for Jesus, as we are talking about it, God's Holy Spirit, God's Spirit is in the process of inspiring more and more, more and more of you to focus your life not on how you can most profit from Jesus, but on how you can do and how you, you can give the most for Jesus through your time, your talents, and your treasure, which is your money, which is your money. And my heart says, praise the Lord. And I believe Dr. Lisa's heart says, praise the Lord. Amen. By the way, some of you might be wondering how much 30 pieces of silver was in Jesus' day. It's not such an easy question to actually answer. One scholar says, one scholar says it was probably about five weeks' wages. Another scholar says it was about six months' wages for the average person. It all boils down to a lot of variables, how one figures things out at a time which is over 2,000 years ago, so it's difficult to get the exact figure. But either way, either way, in one sense, it was obviously a lot of money in their day. In another sense, it was very little money to betray Jesus. Someone else might be thinking, why were Jesus' enemies willing to pay, to pay to lead them to Jesus in secret when they could have arrested Jesus when he was out in public teaching somewhere? Like, why pay anything to Judas or anybody to find out where he was at a quiet time, at a secret time? And the answer is this. Jesus had developed a large following everywhere he went. Jesus' enemies were very concerned that if they tried to arrest him in public, the people would riot, which meant the Roman soldiers would get involved, which meant the Roman government would be very upset with the religious leaders. The Jewish religious leaders went to great extents 
to try not to upset the Roman government because so long, so long as there was relative peace, the Romans allowed the Jewish leaders to pretty much do what they wanted to do. In this second major truth, I have said, focus your life on how you can do and how you can give the most for Jesus and do not focus on how you can best profit from your relationship with Jesus. This is, I believe, a biblical fact. It is one of the truths that I glean from my study of Judas. But stick with me. What is also a biblical fact is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says these words. Why don't you read them with me from the big screen? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's the New International Version translation. And um, the New Living Translation says, together read it, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Wow. Isn't that something? On the one hand, we discover we should focus our life on how we can do and give the most for Jesus and do not focus on how we, we can profit from him. And at the same time, Jesus himself says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Isn't that awesome? Come on now. Isn't that awesome? It's wow. It's far out. It's glory. Glorious. Praise his name. And so, my friends, how to live. Number one, we said, make sure that people who think they can trust you can, in fact, trust you. Can they? And number two, focus your life on how you can do and give the most for Jesus. And do not focus on how you can best profit from your relationship with Jesus. Lord, I want to live like that. Amen? You want to tell the Lord you want to live like that too? Let's pray. Dear Lord,
some of the truths as to how we should live that we learn from Judas are so incredible. They are life-changing. And I pray, O oh God, that you would, you would impact each of our lives with these truths, not because, not because Pastor Nick has brought them forth, but because your holy word, your holy word contains these truths, and all Pastor Nick has done is just, just try to bring them up to the surface a little bit more and, and uh, help us to get a grasp of them. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. And I pray, I pray, dear God, that you are making and you will make each of us, transform each of us more and more into the, into the men and women, the young people that you want us to be so that truly, truly we are fully trustworthy and that truly our lives are focused not on the question of what can Jesus do for me, but what can I do for Jesus? Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.